Thank you, Ebony. Uh, we wanted to do something at the beginning of the sermon special for Mother's Day because I don't have a Mother's Day sermon for you. Um, I rarely do. It's because Mother's Day is always a couple weeks after Easter, and we're always in the middle of an Easter sermon. And this year, our Easter sermon just has, happens to be uh, called The Afterlife, What Happens When You Die. And I realize you might not want to talk about that today. Uh, you might not want to talk about that any Sunday, for that matter. But the, the purpose of the series is not to discourage you, it's not to depress you, it's not to make you worry, it's not to make you anxious. Um, the purpose of the series is to encourage. The purpose is to give hope. When Paul wrote about this uh, question, this specific question in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, he said, I'm, I'm writing about this to give you hope. I'm writing about this to encourage you. And that's the whole purpose of uh, this series. And so this is week three of the series, and today is actually part two of a message that I preached last Sunday, and I know not all of you were here uh, last Sunday, but I called it Rethinking Heaven, and I didn't quite get finished, and so I'm going to try to get finished today, but I'll, I'll bring you up to speed on uh, where, where we were in case you weren't here last Sunday. The reason I call it Rethinking Heaven is because I made the assertion that the popular cultural myths about heaven are just that. Um, many of them are myths, and they talk about heaven as being a purely spiritual place where, you know, we float about on the clouds, you know, disembodied spirits and souls, and it's kind of far away up there somewhere, and heaven is the place where our souls go after they depart the body, and what I'm saying is that does not fit the biblical picture of heaven. Uh, maybe it fits the intermediate heaven, and we are going to talk about the intermediate heaven in a couple of weeks, but right now we're talking about the final reality of heaven. So if you'll think about, like we're talking about after Judgment Day, we're talking about after the second coming of Christ, we're talking about the final trumpet, the end of time, the final reality of heaven. And what I asserted last week is that the final reality of heaven is about resurrection. The Christian version of the afterlife is not about reincarnation, it's about resurrection. Christian version of the afterlife is not about rapture of our souls, it's about the resurrection of our bodies. And Randy Alcorn put this best, he summarized it better than I possibly could. In his book titled Heaven, he said the final reality of the afterlife is a resurrected life in a resurrected body with a resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. It's all about resurrection. Now, when I taught this last week, I kind of had two responses to it. One response was, oh, yeah, I, I, the church I grew up in, yeah, we, I heard all about this. Yeah, the denomination I was in, the resurrection of the dead, oh, sure, yeah, that's a, that's a Christian belief. I've, I was taught that all along. So you, you, you called it rethinking heaven. It was nothing new to me. And the other reaction was, I've never heard this before. Like, I've been in church my entire life. I've heard countless sermons about heaven, and I've never heard it connected to the resurrection. I've never heard about resurrected bodies on a resurrected earth. And I know where you're coming from, because that's, that's how I grew up. I, I heard countless stories about heaven, but the stories about heaven, and it really wasn't the fault of our scriptures, it was more the fault of our hymn books, but the stories about heaven were all about clouds and spirits and floating away up there and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and that I'd never heard about 
resurrected bodies or the resurrection of the dead. It was my friend Gary Van Warmer that kind of gently introduced me to it and pushed me a little bit to study the scriptures, starting with 1 Corinthians 15. And that's where we started last week. And 1 Corinthians 15 lays it out pretty clearly. But that's just scratching the surface of this. If you go back into the ancient Christian creeds, they talk about the resurrection of the dead. The ancient Christian teachers talk about the resurrection of the dead. But most importantly, the Bible itself talks about the resurrection of the dead. Not just the resurrection of Jesus, but the resurrection of all of us. Jesus in John chapter 5. I just want to show you a couple of verses here real quick. John chapter 5, uh, he's talking about the authority that God has given him to judge. And he says, do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Later, one chapter later, chapter 6, verse 39, he says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. That's Jesus talking. And he's not talking about his resurrection. He's talking about our resurrection. I will raise them up on the last day. If you go to the book of Acts and you read the history of the early church, uh, the apostle Paul was put on trial at the very end of that. And he makes very clear why he's standing on trial. When he makes his defense, he says, My brothers, I'm a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. And I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And, and he continues in this, the trial before Felix. He says, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. And I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and, and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. And then in chapter 26, he says, it's because of my hope. In what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. This is the promise of our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? And and Paul's not talking about just a spiritual resurrection. He's just not talking about like that our souls will be resurrected and our bodies stay in the grave. He's talking about a physical resurrection. He talked about that in in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, Peter believed this. 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, or 1 chapter 1 verse 3. In his great mercy he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And John, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And he's talking about we shall be like Christ. What is Christ like? Christ is resurrected. And, and John's saying, we will be resurrected. So John believes this, Peter believes this, Paul believes this, Jesus taught this. I mean, it's all throughout the scriptures, and I realize that when you when you think about this, there's there's multiple reactions to this reality. There is the reaction of like, this is incredible, this is awesome, this is amazing. I want to be a part of something like that. But then we start our our logistical wheels start spinning. And we're like, well, wait a minute, how's that going to work? <laughs> like, how are bodies raised, and what, like, what will they be like, and what what age will we be? 
That's the biggest question I've gotten so far. What age will we be? Do we get to pick our age? Like, I mean, because I'd like to be in my 20s. I don't really want this body. I'd like a different body. So can we, can we pick an age? You know, and what will our bodies do in heaven? And what, like, what will heaven be like? And that's what I kind of want to imagine with you just a little bit today is, is I want to try to answer the question as best I can. What will heaven be like? Will there be fishing in heaven? That was the question I got right after second service last Sunday. Because in the prayer, I mentioned fishing. And Frankie came up to me and he goes, I can get behind that vision of heaven. Like, I'm, I'm on board for that. Is that really true? Is that what the Bible says? And a lot of folks, as we've talked about this, and you've studied this in your small groups, have said in some way or another, and it's usually kind of whispered to me, you know, like, Okay, now this version of heaven, I can get excited about. <laughs> and the reason it's kind of whispered is because we don't want to admit that the, the traditional kind of understanding we had, we weren't all that excited about. And, and we couldn't really admit, because nobody wants to say they're not excited about heaven, we couldn't quite confess that, but you've all probably been there at some point. Like, when I was uh, a kid, we went to youth rallies, they looked nothing like that youth rally. Uh, but, you know, they, like we went to, to youth rallies or when I was in youth ministry, I would take kids to youth rallies. And they sing a lot at youth rallies. Uh, like a whole lot. Um, and like you, some of you think we sing a lot. No, we don't sing. Not like take what we sing on Sunday morning and multiply it by five or six. And, and so when you go to one of these you're just singing and singing and singing and song after song after song, and you're on your feet, and you're standing. And there's excitement, and there's energy in the room. And, and, but, I mean, it's like you sing for 45 minutes. And then at some point, the, the song leader, the worship leader, or whatever would say, and they're hyped, of course, because they love it right there. So they're all hyped up, and they would say something like, just imagine, this is what eternity's going to be like. This is what eternity's going to be like. We're going to get to do this every single day in eternity. And everybody cheers, because that's what you're supposed to do. Everybody cheers. And I'm going, yay, <laughs> that sounds fun. Um, I, like, I, and that, don't get me wrong, I like worship, okay? That's, that's why we're scared to admit it, because you know, nobody wants to say I don't want to sing praises to God. Of course I want to sing praises to God. But 24 hours a day, seven days a week for all eternity, like, can we do something else for a little while? I mean, can we go fishing for a little while? You know, can we go hunting? Can we go hiking? Can we, can we take a nap? Uh, can we, like, what's it going to, what's heaven going to be like? And I think the reality of what we see in Scripture, and I, I have to admit on the front end here, okay, the Bible's very clear that there is a heaven. The Bible's very clear that there is eternal life. And the Bible's very clear that those who die in Christ or those who are alive when he comes back and they're, you know, part of Christ's body, it's very clear that we'll go to heaven. It doesn't do a lot of descriptions. A lot of its descriptions are in the context of, of metaphors uh, because it's trying to describe something that probably we don't have the capacity to understand. Okay, so it's, it's trying to describe something so glorious we can't possibly understand. So it uses metaphors like streets of gold and all this kind of stuff because we can't, we can't wrap our mind around how great and amazing it is. But, but the... the the teaching of the new heavens and the new earth is what helps me get my mind around it. If we will be resurrected and we're living with a resurrected Jesus on a resurrected earth, 
then I can kind of get my mind around that a whole lot better. And I start thinking, and I tell Roman this, like here's a, I love ice cream, okay? And so we pretty much after every meal we eat ice cream, but not after breakfast and not after lunch. But when I tell Roman, no, we can't have ice cream, I tell him, listen, in heaven we'll get to have it every meal. I promise. In heaven it's every meal because there's no consequences for that ice cream. And, and I'm kidding with him, but I'm not kidding with him. What I'm saying is that when I think of heaven, I think of the best of earth minus the sin. The best of earth minus the sorrow, minus the suffering, minus the shame, um, minus the, the death, minus the decay. Because when you, when you think about creation, God created everything. God created us and he created everything around us. And God said it was good. The only thing that corrupted it was sin. And when sin corrupted it, we, that's when death entered the story. That's when shame entered the story. That's when suffering entered the story. That's when mourning entered the story. That's when pain and, and, and tears and all the, that. That's when that entered the story. But before that, it was good. And so I think of heaven as being with all the people I love and all the things I love minus the sin. Like more sunsets, more beauty. Um, more time with relationship, more time eating together with family. I mean, I, all the things that you love minus sin. And when we talk about, because a lot of times we feel guilty about the fact that we talk about how heaven and how great heaven is, but none of us want to go, right? Not like nobody wants to, nobody's ready to go to heaven, but we talk about how great and wonderful it is. And we're like, well, the reason we don't want to go is because we want more time with our family and we want more time in the beauty of this creation, and we want to see more sunsets, and we just want more time. And that's okay. We're homesick for heat, for Eden. We want more time because we're homesick for what God had originally intended this creation to be. And I think the final reality is, uh, is God restoring this creation back to its original intention. So let me, let me show you a couple verses. Just so you don't say, well, that was an interesting opinion piece for us. Um, Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to read the, I'm going to read through using the screen here. And these are kind of lengthy readings, but just imagine, because this is what I want you to do today. Imagine what he's describing here. So Romans chapter 8, Paul does talk about our bodies being resurrected. But then in, in verse 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Now, what, what I want you to notice here is that Paul kind of shifts from talking about our resurrected bodies to talking about a resurrected creation. This is a much broader thing that Paul starts moving into. He says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption, adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. And again, he's, he's speaking of the, the, the creation as a whole, that the entire creation has been subjected to frustration because of sin. The entire creation, I love that imagery there, the entire creation has been held in bondage to decay. 
Because things die, things decay, things deteriorate. The entire creation is held in bondage to decay. But the metaphor he uses, if his mindset is, the way many of our mindsets have been, that, you know, this, old, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. This old world is going to be destroyed and I'm on my way to heaven, so it doesn't matter what happens on this old world, I'm on my way to heaven. If that's the mindset, then why didn't Paul use the metaphor of a man breathing his last breath? The earth is like a man breathing his last breath. The earth is like a soldier dying on the battlefield. What he says, the metaphor he uses is, is that the earth is like a woman in childbirth. It's not waiting to die. The earth's not waiting to die. The earth's waiting to be reborn. The, the earth's waiting to burst. And the, and the glory, yes, there's pain and suffering uh, in childbirth, but there's something beautiful born as a result. And so the earth is groaning under the weight of sin and death until the day that God resurrects all things, including us and all around us. And this is the vision that the Revelation talks about it, Peter talks about it, the vision of the new heavens and the new earth. So take a look here what Peter says about it. This is 2 Peter uh, chapter 3. And this is, again, he's talking about the last days and the final end of time and those kinds of things. But he says, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming? He promised. You know, ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on ever since it has the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters, also the, the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present earth and the present heavens are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord... A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, and it will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done will be laid bare. And since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. And speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. And the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise. We are looking forward to a new heaven. And a new earth. Where righteousness dwells. Now this one's kind of interesting for me to, to choose this passage. Because a lot of people would point to this one and say. But there it is right there. It says that he's going to destroy it all. It's all going to be, you know, it's going to be destroyed by fire. I mean right there. Uh, again I say. Pay attention to the metaphor. The metaphor he uses is one of the flood. You remember the flood, Noah and the ark? God destroyed the world by the flood, right? And what are we standing on today? The world. God destroyed. There was destruction, but there was not annihilation. There was some type of continuation after. Righteousness still continued after. He destroyed wickedness and evil and these things, but righteousness still continued uh, after and I think it's the same way with with fire. I think that, that fire, like water, has destructive purposes, but it also has refining purposes. And if you've ever seen a forest after a forest fire, there's absolute devastation. There's absolute destruction, but there's something beautiful born from it. The new growth that bursts forth is even more glorious than the old growth that was destroyed. 
And I think that's kind of what he's talking about here. I, and he's talking about, we, in, other words, why would we, in other words, why would we look forward to it? Because that, that's the part that got me as I was studying this passage was, he says, he talks about this destruction, and he says, let's look forward to this. I, I think he's talking about let's look forward to this new heavens and new earth because what comes forth is going to be far more glorious than what was there before, which brings us to Revelation 21. And this is where I ended last week's message. I want to read it again, this time out of the NIV. And again, Revelation is a book written, it's full of metaphors, it's trying to describe things that we can't possibly describe, and at the end of the book, it talks about end times. Genesis 1 and 2 talk about creation, Revelations uh, 20 and 21 talk about a restored creation. And this is what John says, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. So this is this talk of, of renewal or rebirth or resurrection, if you will. And that God once again dwells with his people. In the original Garden of Eden, God dwelt with his people until sin entered the picture and corrupted it. And once sin entered the picture and corrupted it, uh, our sin could not coexist with his righteousness. And so there was separation. But God made a way for us to be restored to him through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, we can now have restored relationship with God. But we know that that's even not perfect yet because we know at the end of time we will be fully restored and God's dwelling will once, once again be among his people. And there will be no more tears, no more mourning, no more crying, um, no more suffering. That's, that's the gospel. I mean, that's, if you read this book start to finish, that's the gospel. And, and I know if you've never heard that before, it's weird. I will grant it. Okay? Resurrection's odd. Okay? I, I, like it's, if you've never heard the gospel before or never heard the story of resurrection, it's weird to think about. Um, not a whole lot weirder than some of the stuff we confirm is true in science and biology and life, but it's weird, and I grant that. My guess is, though, that most of us in this room and most of us watching online have heard the gospel our entire lives, but we just forget how incredible its promises are. The, promise, the gospel is tied to the promise of eternal life, the fact that we will, and we will never die. And it's such an incredible promise, and it's such a thing that, that we should try to imagine and we should try to look forward to, that, that those who have died before us will live again and that those who, of us who live with Christ now will live again and will be reunited with our loved ones in, in a, res, a new heavens and a new earth, a resurrected earth. Now to me, and this is just me, that's something I can get excited about. That's something I can look forward to. And uh, I said this in the second service, and I, I kind of shortchanged you guys last week because I didn't think about it till the second service, actually. I said, you know, I know it's hard to picture heaven. It's hard to picture what heaven is like, but it's really not. We overthink it. I've got pictures of heaven on my phone. I can show you. And so last night I, I sat down, 
I've got about 4,000 pictures on my phone. And I just started trying to pick out a few of the pictures uh, of heaven. And so I just started kind of rolling through them. And uh, I'm not going to go, I won't show you all 4,000 pictures. They're not all pictures of heaven. Some of them are pictures of hell. Um, <laughs> but that's the Buffalo River. That's, that's one of my happy places, the Buffalo River, floating on the river. Um, we'll be there in a couple months. Chandler and I will be fishing in a couple months. Um, that was the results. We hope, hope that continues. Uh, this summer, that's the first time that, that Roman and Tripp and Tucker have got to play on the same baseball team together. That, that's his cousins. So that's kind of cool. We get to go watch baseball, and they're all playing on the same team together. Um, that's my softball girls. That, that's not a picture from this year. That's, that was a picture from, from last year. And that's not my girls. Uh, that's my girls. That's from 2018 when we won the uh, district championship in softball. Hallie's a freshman. Lily's a senior. That's just a family pick with the center of attention in the center of attention there. Um, that, that's Roman in the dove field. I just wanted to clarify, Sundrop will be in heaven. I wanted to go ahead and make sure you understood that. Um, that's Roman and Willa uh, playing at the waterfall. I think that's off the trace somewhere. And I just started looking through. There's Tim's Ford Lake. That's Glacier National Park. That's a family pick out in uh, Montana. We went out to Montana. I think I'm the only one without a cowboy hat. No, Seth doesn't have one either. Uh, the Grand Teton. Or no, that's Zion National Park. That's the Grand Canyon. I just started looking through all these pictures, all these inc- this this view, and and like you look through these pictures and you go, uh, that's the farm I grew up on, by the way. You look through those pictures and you go, well, you're not showing us pictures of heaven. You're showing us pictures on earth. You're you're right in a sense, because if I believe First Corinthians 15, that the seed planted is just a, a small portion of the glory that be revealed, and so I think the that. On earth, we see glimpses of heaven, but it's just a fraction of what we would see in heaven. It's just like the earth. I've been to just a fraction of the beautiful places on earth. Just a very small. There's so many more incredible, beautiful, glorious places that I have never seen and will probably never see before I die. But I still got time to see them. I still got time to see them, even though I'll die before I see them. You understand what I'm saying? And, 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 and the, the earth that we live in, if you want to study the universe just a little bit and blow your mind, we live on just a fraction of the universe. We can't even see how far the universe extends. We live on just a tiny fraction of it. And that's, that's, those are the things that I get excited about because I think the, the best life on earth, I think of heaven as the best life on earth minus the worst. The best life on earth minus the sin and the suffering and the shame and the pain and the sorrow. And that's something I can get excited about. That's something I can look forward to. And you, you may follow this line of thinking and go, but I think you're wrong. <laughs> like when I study scriptures, I see this. I see this. Because like I said earlier in the sermon, that scriptures definitely affirm there is a heaven. We can all agree on that. And scriptures definitely affirm that those who died in Christ will, will live in heaven with Christ. We can all affirm that. Exactly what it looks like, well, we can argue about that. That's fine. We, I might be wrong. But if I am wrong, I can't imagine that God's plans are somehow worse. And so if I am wrong, then I think I'm wrong 
in the best possible way. Let's pray. Father, it's, it's, it's fun to imagine heaven. And it's fun to think about heaven. And we think about the beauty of your creation. And we think about what you created for us. And you said it was good. And, and everything that, that you created, including ourselves, you said it's good. And God, I do believe that, that uh, your goodness continues past this life. Believe in the promise of eternal life. Believe that because of what Jesus did for us, that we have the hope of eternal life. We believe that we'll be reunited with loved ones and we'll be reunited with us because that's the promise of your scriptures, that one day you will come down and dwell among us again in a new heavens and a new earth. And Father, we look forward to that day. We anticipate that day. And um, we look forward to it. It gives us hope, and it gives us encouragement. So, Father, thank you for that. And it's in the name of your Son, Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. You are listening to the Murray Hills Church Podcast. To learn more about Murray Hills Church, including our gathering times, and how to connect with us, visit us online at murrayhills.com.